Hi folks, my name is Girish Bally, the host for Back to Basics, another Back to Basics for another week. Today we're going to be talking about financial abuse. What is financial abuse? I think I said it all when I said financial abuse. But now the trick is, when do you know that? When is the financial abuse happening? What are the symptoms? What are the cause? How do we fix it? Do we want to fix it? Or do you want to just stay in that circle? Those are the questions. Those are the statements that we're going to be saying today on this show. And we're going to have this person on our show for the second time. And uh, so far, I've said this numerous times before, I don't think I have any reward program yet for a remain, you know, the repeating uh, guest that I'm getting on my show. But eventually, I think I'll have to. And I think I'll start that on season three. Mm, what do you think? I think I should, right? So let's bring her on the show and let's welcome her again. Her name is Amanda. She's an amazing person. Amanda, how are you? Thanks for coming again on Back to Basics. Thanks so much for having me back. Absolutely. Thank you again. And I think if I'm not mistaken, you were on a season two and we talked about granny dumping. And today we're going to be talking about financial abuse. And today's, uh, you're the right person for this. Thank you again for coming here. No problem. It's, yeah, let's hit the heavy subjects together, why don't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but before I do that, has the answer changed from the first episode that we did with you? Uh, what does back to basic mean to you? Still definitely stripping it all back, making it as easy as possible and focusing on what counts. I don't think it gets any better than that, does it? No, it doesn't. Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining that. And, uh, and thank you again for coming here on the show. So how tough is financial abuse? I mean, is it really tough? Oh, look, it can be something that's just a little bit off to completely controlling a person's life. So a lot of people, when they hear the term go financial abuse, so sort of what's what's that? Um, mm -hmm. You know, they've, they've got an idea. It is completely self-explanatory in the name, but it's also we're supposed to get to the nitty gritty. It's when a partner has pretty much complete control over their other partner's access to economic resources. That can be anything from their ability to earn a living. And it's a form of coercive control where they're making you depend on them for your means so it can be anything from illegally or unauthorized use of property and money forcing people to change wills or attorneys um even filing you know insurance claims right through to not even allowing your partner to purchase um menstrual necessities so mm -hmm. it's an enormous range of um, abuse it does cover elder abuse as well and it, it's now um, recognized as a form of domestic violence mm -hmm. so let me step back a little if you don't mind right when sure. we when we say abuse we think of fist fighting which is physical abuse verbal abuse uh sexual abuse we think of those things when we think yeah. of the word abuse right Absolutely. but we also think of harassments sexual harassments all, all that you know fun stuff and all those words right but financial abuse i don't think has been used that often right because we use other words when we think of financial abuse what are, what are your thoughts on that yeah most most people sort of think of oh you know he won't pay the maintenance or you know he's not letting me get on at work or you know and i'm, I'm generalizing because it is most often men yeah. simply because you know our 
our society has a role where men were, you know, traditionally the breadwinners for so long. Women were traditionally the stay-at-home mums and, and that's sort of how it, it, it came about. But another expression that I suppose is, is gaining a lot more um, traction is coercive control. So these forms of abuse that are a lot more insidious are now being talked about a lot more, you know, everything from stalking and harassment, like you said, to these forms of mental and emotional uh, and financial abuse are are coming out a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for explaining that. And uh, I guess it's been there for a long time, but it looks like those words are kind of used newly now, I guess. So thank you. Thank you again for that, Amanda. You know, we're getting into financial abuse uh, topic here, but now the question is, what are the the symptoms are we looking at? I mean, are there symptoms that we should be uh, looking for? Like, for example, when we have a cold, we have a symptom of, you know, temperature and cough and everything else, right? But then is there a symptom for financial abuse? And the, and the really sexy voice that I have right now because of my cold. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Throw that out there. I don't usually sound quite this... Um... Amazing, breathless Mahoney I am. Yeah, so definitely there's there's symptoms of financial abuse. Some people call them red flags because you want them to be completely noticeable. And so in, often people won't realise they're in an abusive relationship for a while because they're like, oh, I, it sort of felt a bit funny and I wasn't really sure, but you sort of don't want to come out and go, hey, that's abuse, don't treat me like that. So mm. the things are... Um, it could be just handing over to your partner a very meagre allowance and going, right, that's that's the food budget for the week. Or mm. it may be something like forbidding study or allowing you to advance in your career. Mm. Um, it may be not allowing things, like I said, like menstrual products or medication or even food. There mm. can be extreme monitoring of your purchases and spending patterns where someone's, you know, making you hand over the receipts or making you provide access to your account so they can, you know, look at every single cent that goes out. Mm. Um, sometimes it can just be that, you know, the breadwinner will threaten to leave or cut off financial support to the family if they don't get their own way or you don't meet their demands. Mm. Mm. It can be things like money and assets being hidden, forbidding you to have your own personal bank accounts, it mm. could be running up debts in your name. There's so many parts to how limited or severe this can be. Um, mm. You know, it, and like when we discuss the elder abuse, it could be, you know, nicking $20 off the nightstand sure, sure. Um, to running up massive debts, even forging signatures. So it's it's a pretty layered area. Well, Amanda, thank you. Thank you again. You know, we're we're talking individual, we're talking family, and we're talking couples, right? But then if you take that same concept to a corporate world, uh, does that also happen the same way? I think auditing, uh, you know, your accounts and all that stuff, is that considered also financial abuse? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but usually you can slap a name on it, call it fraud, and get it um, sure. convicted in, sure. in a corporate setting. It's, it's much more, I suppose... Uh, open and enforceable when you've got an accountant who can sit there and go, that's not right yeah. to, you know, a partner who's going, he won't let me go to work. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you again, Amanda. So uh, obviously we have found that these are the symptoms, but how do we control it? I mean, do we communicate every single day whenever we spend something or what are we going to be spending and without any, you know, hesitation? 
Look, I, I think every couple's different and often money is still a crazy taboo subject and you don't sort of sit down with your partner when you're having that conversation like, right, how many children do we want? Do we want to buy a house together? And by the way, I don't want to be financially abused if you don't mind. <laughs> so, right. so I think having it, it's, it's quite interesting, having an understanding of your partner's, I suppose, money story. What were their parents like with money? You know, was was there a, a traditional breadwinner and a stay-at-home mum? Did both work? Did they have goals that they worked together as a family? So understanding where they come from. Are they a spender or a hoarder? You know, mm. what, what are their expectations about you? Do, do you want to keep working? Do you want to have children and go back to work or be a stay-at-home mum? So there's a lot of questions that it's worth asking as you go and, you know, the relationship develops so that you understand. Setting expectations, I think, you know, it, it might be that all along I, I have a baby and I want to go back to work and your partner's like, well, no, I want you to be a stay-at-home mum. So often there can be a lot unsaid that causes a lot of angst. Mm. So setting those expectations really early can be um, a great idea. It may also be as simple as, you know what, I work, I'm going to keep my money separate. You work, you keep your money separate. But let's agree on how we meet our household needs. Do we have a joint account where we either contribute a percentage of our income or 50-50 in to meet our household expenses, but we also maintain some form of independence while still meeting our family needs, just so that we never are completely 100% reliant Mm. on another person so working out what works in your family is really important some couples prefer to keep everything separate and it's like well you pay the mortgage I'll pay the living expenses or let's just you know choose to to go 50 50 on everything so every family has to work out what's right for them and other people might go you know what we'd never do it that way that's mm. fine it's not abuse as long as you're working towards common goals. It's mm -hmm. it's when there's hiding and stealing and, you know, backhanded dealings, that sort of stuff that, that is abuse. You know, there's these generational issues we've got as well where, you know, our, our parents and grandparents, you know, not until post-war were women working like mm. they are now. So, you know, we wouldn't have mostly said if dad went to work and mum was a stay-at-home mum. That That's mm. not financial abuse no. because they were working together towards, you know, the family needs. Mm. So it's, it's not about that. It's about when there is an intent to cause the other person harm. Yeah, Amanda, thank you. Thank you again. You know, there's a, a part one and a part two question. So I don't know, there might be a part three because the way I'm going <laughs> to describe it. Okay, so bear with me on that. You know, you would think that as a couple, as a married couple, you would be discussing about financial planning, right? But then nowadays in the new generation, they don't really talk much on that. And even if they do, they'll be like, if the answer is no, I don't think I want to get into the relationship. But then there's another scenario is that I'm the breadwinner and the other person is not and dealing with home stuff and it goes the way I want to deal with it. Is that considered financial abuse? And the second part of the generation uh, question, what, what, what are your thoughts on these uh, three points, two points that I have here? I, I think the first one, it does again come back to the intent. Are you out to harm or hurt the other person? What mm -hmm. are your motives? You know, Is it still something that you're working 
on together and you're recognising the other person's input, even if that input is in, you know, we're keeping the home fires burning, there's dinner on the table, the kids are fed and washed and scrubbed and at school and their homework's helped. You know, if you had to pay someone to come in and, and do the role of a domestic that keeps your home fires burning, that that's not a cheap role. You know, mm. there's no. people are looking at, you know, between forty and $100,000 for someone to do that role for them. So I think the intent is really, really important. Mm. Can you go back to the second part of the question for me? The second part is the generation, you know, like when, when they want to get into a relationship and they love each other, but when it comes to financial stuff, they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to budge because nowadays the youngsters, they don't want to budge. They don't want to compromise because they, they are fighters as compared to, I, I'm going to say it, it's the oldies, right? And oldies like us, right? So what are your thoughts on that part? Because I don't think you can have a relationship without compromise. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I don't think it exists. Like, you know, I saw an, I don't watch free-to-air TV, but I saw an advertisement recently for, I was one of the Married at First Sight show, and, and the woman basically came out and went, well, if we've got differing opinions, I'm right. <laughs> I'm just like, right. oh, lady, get right. with the program. <laughs> like, you, you would think that would be a financial abuse if they don't talk about it. And what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it can be abusive to not consider somebody else's opinion. I mean, we, we're all different people and it's it's maybe not abuse, but it's certainly not respectful to at least listen to another person's point of view. You don't have to agree with everybody's point of view. But, you know, like they say, one man's um, terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. So we, we do have very differing opinions. And when going into relationships, to understand those, you know, are there situations where you can agree to disagree? And there's, there's going to be ones that aren't. I mean, if you desperately want children and your partner's like, look, that's a no, no way for me, then mm. it probably is, you know, going to kill the relationship. And yeah. there should be things like that that are in every part of our life that, you know, what can we give way on? Do I love you enough to go, you know what, that's okay? Mm. Or, you know what, that's that's a deal breaker for me and I'm walking away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again, Amanda, for explaining all that. So let me give you another scenario, right? Uh, the husband is working, okay, and the wife used to work and then got laid off for many, many years, right? And now she's only working with not working but uh, uh exchanging money with with cash like buying groceries and whatever right so which means there's nothing much that she can do but when kids they ask her that mom can i have ice cream or can i have french fries or can i have burger or whatever right and the answer is no not that she's not poor i mean she does have the money for it but when she says no to a kid does that mean that it's a financial abuse or is, does that mean that I'm trying to control the money and the kids need to understand it? It's a fabulous opportunity to be able to help teach children about money, actually. Yeah, and it can be as simple as, look, you know, mummy's got a budget. We've only got X amount of dollars that we can spend on food or groceries or treats every week. Mm. This week, mummy's used that budget. Mm. Or you know what? why don't we give up something this coming week so that we can afford that treat? So mm. you can use it as a teaching opportunity. When I put my book, um, Financial Secrets Revealed Together, one of my main questions was to everyone, what did your parents teach you about money? Mm. And it was an overwhelming nothing. Mm. So I think it's up to our generation to turn that around and start teaching children some really important lessons 
about money, if you're just saying no for the sake of no because you can and it's a power play, that's that's very different to, you know what, we're saving for a family holiday and all right. those all that treats money is going into a jar. Are you happy to, you know, put towards that? Or it could be longer before we get to go away. Or maybe we can't have ice cream when we go to Disney World or whatever yeah. the, the reasons are. It's, it's a fabulous opportunity to be able to start some lessons in finance for the children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you again. You know, uh, can we uh, slowly talk about your book, if you don't mind? So did the design of the book happen first? Because you kind of knew what the situations were and you knew what you were going to write about, right? Or did the title come first uh, for your book? No, the, the working title I had was the best financial advice ever, but apparently legal teams... Um... <laughs> don't appreciate that I, I thought it was a little a little tongue-in-cheek taking people's you know their individual advice so financial secrets revealed was sort of more of a plan b and it was about interviewing people about you know what's the best financial advice they've been given what do they want to pass on to their kids what mistakes have they made that they've had to recover from so yeah it was i just wanted to provide people with stuff they could use so i've interviewed people who are surviving you know on social security pensions mm. right through to you know average mum dads small business people and and multi-millionaires so mm. it, it's sort of there's something for everybody in there yeah 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 thank you thank you again amanda but out of your book and you've done some interviews right uh out of your book what are the top three that you think are the best advice that you ever heard and you want to put it out there if not one, the three, maybe at least two. Yeah, yeah. Two of them actually are completely diametrically opposed. So I interviewed a financial advisor in the UK and he has a, a young son and he wanted him to learn about the value of money. So it was things like, you know, if you break an iPad, I'm not just going to go and buy you another one. You have to learn that, you know, dad has to work to make money and whether that's time or his value that, you know, to replace that yeah. it's not just you know the bank in the wall <laughs> let's mm -hmm. go get the money and buy you a new one you right. have to understand there's consequences and there's another woman in australia who's a serial entrepreneur and she wanted her children to learn i never want them have to trade time for money mm -hmm. so really interesting quite similar and yet completely opposite mm -hmm. he wants his son to understand you know dad's time is worth money Sure. And you have to learn and understand that concept. And the other woman, I think she was more talking about, I don't want you to think that there's only the nine to five in your future. You mm. can, you know, be an entrepreneur and make you, make your own way. So, you know, both of them are completely correct. Mm. So, but look, when it comes to the, the best tips, they're, they're really boring. Mm. To live within your means and know your numbers. So, mm. you know, yeah. if you're not overspending and you know what's going out every week, you're going to have massive control mm. over it. So many people say to me, look, I can't do a budget because, you know, I never know what's coming in every week or right. I'm in the gig economy and, you know, it's it's all, all over the place. But if we know that every week when we wake up, it's going to cost us $436.27 to make ends meet, then if we make $500 that week, we know we're in surplus and mm. we can put that towards paying down debt, going on a holiday, doing the things we love. If mm. we know that there's only 400 coming in, 
we're behind the eight ball and we have to make some changes. You know, what does that streaming channel that that second or third one we bought have to go? Do we not, you know, buy the ice creams for the kids this week? Do we not go to the movies? You know, what things can we do to make it work? And and if you don't know your numbers, you can never get ahead. So it's, there's no secret or get rich quick schemes. It's, it's, it's going back to basics, Garish. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the perfect show to say that line, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Thank you. Thank you so much. Because, you know, I, I think there's one thing that we don't realize is allowance, right? And we don't really manage that really well. I mean, if you have an extra 20 bucks, you should put that on the savings or pay something off. But now I'd rather use that 20 bucks for getting an ice cream. You know, this, this is, there's a, a thin line between need and want, right? And I think we humans are very greedy, but the thing is that how do we stop in a certain line? I don't know if that makes sense to you. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, and that's, I think, where goal setting comes in because it's very easy to say, no, I'm not going to have that ice cream. If I have the goal of, I need money for a housing deposit. I need to pay a bond to move. I want to have a baby. I want to. Next week's episode on Back to Base. Previously had some sort of like wrench thrown in here that mm. actually could lower the value and, and throw the appraisal off. So mm. leasing and renting panels, just, just be aware of what you're getting into. Um, if you own the panels, it's great. You can finance them if you, if you don't have a ton of cash, but if the numbers still work, where you put a little bit down and say, even with the monthly payment, you put 2000 down or something and you'll save 150 a month and your new payments, you know, 110 or something for the financing. Well, net it's $40 right mm -hmm. away that you're getting mm -hmm. in your pocket. And then you do have solar and studies do show that.